0: hello 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 and welcome back to this is not a history lecture lecture i hope we sound crisp as crisp as we think we do because we have yeah. finally nailed a mic combo i think we have i re- mm, and i just popped a p there oh yeah that's the one downfall cat cat's mic is very sensitive to yeah i have to I very loud it. vowel sounds not I hold it like a bird consonant in sounds not vowel. constant constant consonant consonants <laughs> wow all of a sudden i feel like i'm in kindergarten it might not be the mic it might just be my brain going out (laughs) anyway it's just cat like slowly imploding (laughs) it's it's been a really weird week guys it has been such an odd week i've been on some heavy pharmaceuticals cat dislocated her rib because of course that's something that happens to her and, and I've been having a lot of fun <laughs> since then attending classes Kat on pretty high-grade pain medication. Yes. Do not worry. She has not driven vehicles. <laughs> yes. I made sure I had rides everywhere I needed to go, but but she class, wasn't class. Yeah. It was way more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was. I bet it was. Um, can't say that I don't blame you for that one because, yeah. oh my gosh, sometimes class is... Rough. rough and we're so close tuesday is our last day of class oh i guess the day we upload this will be the last day of yeah. our class so when you hear this just know that we are celebrating well we will at the end of that day Yes, we'll be in class when this releases yes but it'll be like you know the la- the high school musical too like the intro oh yeah like, summer 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 summer, summer. <laughs> That's what we're going to be doing, yeah. um, except not so, because I'm not looking forward to actually working so much this summer. I know, um, I need to, well, cat is cat <laughs> has too many things to do, and I have not enough things to do. And by not enough, I mean nothing, and that's really worrying because our program requires that we do something over the summer. But like you're waiting for them to get back. Yeah, to, they I do have get a back to yeah. You soon. They, well, so I have a second interview at an internship, and apparently it's a three part interview process, which is. Seems like a lot of parts to Is that me. A child's. I don't know. Someone in yelled in the background, and I tried to ignore it. <laughs> it's Really not. <laughs> if you hear some ignorable. like ghost noises in the back, that's the people in Cat's apartment complex. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so got a second interview. That's an in-person interview, which means I have to figure out what to wear. Which means I'm mainly worried about shoes. Mm. Shoes are always hard for me. If we need to go to like dirt cheap and get like a well, five dollar pair of here's flats, here's the thing. Or we can. Here's the thing my wide hobbit feet don't fit in normal shoes like normal nice mm. dress shoes and so it just makes shoes really hard That's and I've been really lucky that like the job I have currently has been pretty chill with like the shoe stuff yeah but like this is an interview and it's in person and you want to look nice and even though like the place yeah. I'm interviewing is it's like you know it's it's a museum so it's like pretty like business casual mm-hmm. But, like, it's still an interview and I want to look nice and right. I can't just show up in my dirty old Vans like, right. or, like, Doc Martin boots. I think either way. <laughs> full, what is it called? The You can do, like, the full pantsuit and then put Converse on. So, you, like, the overcompensated uh, the look. Yeah. Kamala. Almost. Oh, my gosh. I said, <clears throat> said her name. Like, I'm no, so sorry, yeah. that Kamala. That kind where you kind of, like, overdo the top so that you can underdo the shoes or something and I, I, it looks, like, okay, purposefully casual. Yeah. Well, there are several problems with that. One, I don't want to look like Kamala Harris. Why not? Because she's come here that's true i don't know if anyone can imagine <laughs> <her>. <laughs> um two i don't own a pantsuit so that. yeah let me just acquire a whole pantsuit that's definitely easier to do than just buying a pair of shoes <laughs> that's yeah listen listen good point i do i, I well it's it's always weird cuz you're like i don't want to j- dress too professionally because then we are like who the heck is this guy i know Anyway, yeah. So that's going to be something I have to figure out by Thursday. And then apparently there's a third session interview, which is like a short phone call. And then they tell me. At least it's a phone call and not a second in-person interview. Yeah. So I don't... Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, That's kind of what I have planned for the summer right now. So if that doesn't work out, then I'll it, figure something out. Either way, you and I are going to be here and it's going to make it 10 million times easier to record this than so trying to Zoom easier. from like two separate computers. Yeah, there probably will be a couple weeks in may when i'll be home so maybe we will pre-record we record or i have to go home at some point too yeah so we'll have to figure that out which will be interesting but we'll figure it out and y'all won't have to worry about it because that's our job yeah and we have an emergency <laughs> episode recorded and ready to go in case we in ever case don't get we just to record, really can't so. figure it out which i mean the only case i would see that being a problem is if we can't get mics for like a couple weeks or something that's true but we'll figure it out. Yeah. That's, that's the road we cross when we get there. Yes. Again, we are poor and we don't have any sponsorships. So we're having to rely on our library's resources. sponsor me. <laughs> Give me beautiful shoes. What do you I mean American? That- no, 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 no. Cat doesn't need shoes. We need I mics. Don't, I, don't want, <laughs> I want historically accurate shoes. That's not going to help with our recording unless you're going to do like a tap number and have it as our intro. Tell me not to do a tap number. Tell me not to, Kaylee. Did I tell you not to? Stop me. Try and stop me. Why would I do that? That sounds like a good sign. <laughs> the only thing is that it's, a, it's an auditory medium, so our audience would not be able to witness the glory of you dancing with a dislocated rib. No, they can hear the, <laughs> tap, they can hear the tapping. Oh, she's doing it, y'all. Anyway. Sorry. If you can tell, we're a little bit out of it. I especially am out of it. I know. So sorry. I didn't even take the medication today. I'm just not feeling it. It's it's been a long week. The house is haunted. For sure, for sure. I'm like ninety percent sure. I thought we already worked. I sure. like I was already, tra- Okay, so you know that. Okay, I work in a historic house. In case y'all didn't know, it's one of my multiple um, museum jobs, and I didn't lose multiple those. museum jobs. That Look sounded at her. way more. Bougie. That sounded so pretentious. <laughs> <I'm> so <laughs> I just sorry. needed you to know that. <laughs> that was sounded bad. really pretentious. Well, I felt like I need to. I needed to differentiate because they know I work in collections already, and like it's yeah. not a normal. Like, that would be weird if I was like, I Cad guess. works in collections at one museum and as a docent in, in another. A historic house museum. In a, a yeah. historic house museum, So yes. I just wanted to differentiate that. There are multiple. It's not the same job. Um, But on my weekend one, there's, it, like, I didn't believe in ghosts or anything until I started working there. And there's this cabinet in, in the nursery that, like, it has, you know those latches when you close something? And it's almost like a, it, it's almost like a little hook and it pops into place so that the door won't swing open again. Yeah. It opened, didn't it? It's happened three times in the last month where I go, I leave Saturday night with it closed and I come back. I'm the only one in the house Sunday morning and I come back and it's open. <laughs> and it's the same cabinet where Spooky. that music box was sitting during Christmas and it like started playing by itself when I was downstairs and I'd been there for an hour and it hadn't gone off. And like, I don't know if what happened, but Kat, I don't know how you're able to just sit in this house alone as much as you do because if i was downstairs and yeah. had been alone for an hour yeah and a music box started playing somewhere in the house uh-huh. and at first I, I, was, I, was like, I feel like i would have called the cops <laughs> at first i was like oh okay no it's it's newton's law something shifted and then i realized nothing in the house is going to shift enough to no or settle enough like that house has settled it's maybe over like years old maybe like one like think but, but no like it was it played <laughs> and i was like okay and i i hated this is, that okay. ever since cat cat's like tiktok fame is mostly from <laughs> like haunted stories of this house so i yeah. think you know the more material she gets it's better for her yeah although but she terrifying. still hasn't mentioned our podcast i'm trying to find a good audio for her. i have I one we have to go to sh- oh i almost said the name of our restaurant completely outed us we have to go to that place yeah, to film it yeah, yeah we do um but yeah we'll do that soon because it's getting nice and the weather's beautiful and it's a great it's day a really to be recording nice day. this yeah. and it's just good vibes we're so close yes. to being done just a couple more essays and a final yep i uh, just one more essay right uh we did do the one for the conference yeah but it's not it's bad she said we didn't even have to do that until like mid-may <laughs> oh awesome great okay <laughs> um yeah so well i feel like we're rambling yeah sorry um, about that guys yeah. We'll, we'll get off on... We'll ramble about something else. Yeah, we'll Particularly f- Cat will ramble about the Silk Road yes, right now. Yes, we're going to get going and start off on the Silk Road. Cat's taking us on a journey. I am. From Rome to China. Yeah, it would be the most miserable road trip. <laughs> oh my god. Can you imagine having traveled Especially if the it desert? was like 500 BC. <laughs> right? Like, just... Give me dysentery already. Oh God, <laughs> please, let me die. <laughs> I would not have survived. My bloodline would have ended <laughs> if I was alive. I know, my you, ancestors you are the more powerful whole... than me. I know. I think about, like, what they went through. And I'm like, Kat, get yourself out of bed and go to class. Your ancestors, like, came here on a ship that half the people died of cholera. Like, it's yeah. fine. Anyway. Anyway. The Silk Road. Yeah, the Silk yeah. Road. So the Silk Road Trevor tri- tri- This is starting off great. (laughs) That was really good. We didn't plan that. That was pretty funny. Stop. Okay. (laughs) We're going to be here forever. I'm so sorry, guys. Okay. So, the Silk Road covers a, like, big, big chunk of history. Um, It was a bunch of trade routes. And I know I say routes. You say routes normally i usually say route i'm trying to fix it it's roots you. or route either either I way i don't say it, care about tell that me I, say I care about cul-de-sac not <laughs> roots or routes Cold i say you say tour like a northerner oh that's the one yes okay. <laughs> anyway bunch of Damn trade Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm so sorry i'll stop interrupting <laughs> i'm not gonna keep it together um So it's important to know that this isn't one super contiguous road. It's not a super highway that led from one place to other and like had asphalt on it and stuff. It had multiple branches out in multiple directions. It was like a link. A bunch of people would go back and forth along it in different spaces. Um, And it started mostly as just naturally available trade routes available by early on it was just kind of like nomadic people because those are the people that are really good at moving goods along that's their whole life is to just keep moving so they're good at it um and then normal merchants start to start to kind of pick up on these routes and they basically in, utilize it to its full potential and start you know solidifying these safer passages um as the han dynasty comes to power the economy it's not great for china but it, it's hanging in there and in in uh 130 bce so this is when we're going backwards in oh, reverse time what? yeah uh, why okay <laughs> i know so that was the worst BCE. thing that ever happened to like any historian <laughs> just... you yeah, we can do that like 18th 17th century thing how like they're off by oh, one. one like one that's easy it mm-hmm. takes a couple of weeks to get used to it but the backwards time never helps yeah. there's no winning But in 130 BC, the Han Dynasty reopens trade with the West. And it's fully functional for a really long time. The Silk Road essentially runs until 1453 CE, when the Ottoman Empire kind of starts to block the routes. Which, it's hard, because these routes weren't one end to the other. Like I said, the Ottoman Empire wasn't just going to end the entire thing. Um, They just, they were able to... You know, raise taxes in some place, make it more difficult to trade through certain areas Mm -hmm. they controlled, stuff like that. So they didn't, like, end it in one fell swoop. You know, different countries could still get different places. Mm -hmm. Waterways were under different people's controls. But, yeah, so about 13 BCE to 1453 CE and that's a long time it is it's a it's <laughs> yeah. super like oh this gosh. i would argue that this is one of the most important and influential oh for sure p pe- like events if it's not even trade an event routes? or a thing it, I in would history, call it, it's got yeah i feel like trade routes as we know are very important yeah and so like but this one especially because it yeah. was the first large scale yeah method to pass stuff mm-hmm. along and like i said earlier it's not one person in China takes silk all the way to mm-hmm. France or something. Yeah, it's or what would have been they're just passing hands. Yeah, modern day, but yeah. like they're passing it to a trade post, and that person is passing it further along. And they're just kind of mm-hmm. like marking up the prices as they go to make it worth everyone who's yeah. passing it along. So, just, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know about the Silk Road in theory, obviously. Sorry if I don't comment as much because I just really want to learn from no, you. No, I, I, I oh, don't put that. <laughs> you're doing a on great me. job. No, thank you. <laughs> Well, and it helped. It do, it didn't help the Silk Road, and its flourishing. That the Age of Exploration kind of is starting by the mm-hmm. end of this, and we're finding other trade routes, new places. It's not fourteen hundred ninety two yet, but
1: Columbus is gonna sail
0: the ocean blue soon. Even though <laughs> Columbus was not the first one to find America, guys. No, it was what was it like? america vespucci no no that was like the fourth or fifth guy yeah Leaf erickson did it first Leif <laughs> erickson the viking found it in like 700 or 800 and then before that i don't know if it's ever confirmed but before there's a theory that like china or that like hmm. eastern world might mm-hmm. have found it even beforehand it's not surprising because there's like chinese pottery that they've discovered at sites um really? in south america whoa yeah that's all I've heard about that, so I don't know for sure for sure. if that happened thinking. as far as we know, as far as been confirmed the first like quote unquote like European or like non-American mm-hmm. to find it was. Leif Erikson okay. and the Vikings, yeah. Okay, and we say that n- not as in like they found this unpopulated land they could take. Like yeah. there were people here. Yes, there the, were people there. Yeah, that were <laughs> on it from a- before everyone the else Bering in the world Strait didn't know. And- <laughs> is, it, is it the Bering Strait? Is that the name of it? It's the a- Bering, Bering Strait from yeah. Russia to Alaska. Yes. yes. Yeah. So before that was underwater, you know, people yeah. found mm-hmm. the a land that we now call America and yes. populated it. Um. Anyway, so this connects so much it's hard to describe accurately because different places moved and shifted and got renamed through the years but think central asia to china and the middle eastern or the eastern mediterranean to central asia so like this huge swath of land kind of um some of the areas it sits in it kind of followed the progress the the direction of the great wall of china it passes the deserts. it crosses Afghanistan, and it gets all the way to the Levant, where goods could be hauled onto ships and shipped across the Mediterranean and then dispersed through Europe. Mm-hmm. And it worked both directions of course. It's called the Silk Road mostly because that was China's yeah. main export, export but it, it carried stuff back and forth more than just silk. On the other yeah. side of the map though, the Pacific is... I almost said the specific. The, the Pacific, Pacific. Yeah, that was... That me. specific one. <laughs> yeah, the past the Paschetti. Um, My dad wouldn't let me read Junie B. Jones as a kid because he thought it would teach me, like, bad speaking really? habits. Because she really? said, like, Paschetti and he didn't like it. Oh. I think it was also because she's kind of a brat. Um, I love Junie B., so you need to back off. I mean, I ended up loving her, too. But <laughs> if I look at it retrospectively, she I mean, wasn't mean, any children's a, book written for children, I think they kind of come off as a brat. I mean, Franklin the Turtle was pretty chill. They didn't write Franklin for children. Uh, Not to be, like, relatable to children. Oh, true. Junie yeah. B was, like, she was the eight girl. It's the only thing I... Junie B Jones was the first chapter book I ever read all the way through by myself. Really? Yes, very proud of myself. You did a lot of Judy Bloom. I never did Judy Bloom. Oh, we did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. You seem like a Judy Bloom family. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You look like a sprinkles guy. <laughs> you look like a sprinkles guy. What is that supposed to be? <laughs> anyway. So, yes, I'm getting resituated really to comfortably read here. I have to hold my mic so I get to move around a little bit. Yeah, Kat is currently holding. Yeah. She's using like a lavalier mic. Yeah. It has great sound quality, but it's not so user friendly mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff. I feel like I'm holding a teacup and I get my pinky out. <laughs> you do have your pinky out. Mostly because it's too small to hold with my whole hand. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, the Pacific Ocean. They're able to cross it and get some of these goods all the way out to Java or Japan. So this is officially the Silk Road kind of just runs a a line. But this stuff is reaching everywhere, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, The Persian Gulf is also being used because you can transport things through it and then get them up the Tigris and the Euphrates. Yeah. Uh So, like I said, all over the place. So many branches that even if the Ottoman Empire had the entire thing under their control, they couldn't just stop the movement along it. Yeah. Yeah so it is rough terrain though um there's deserts and areas there's there's mountains and others and so robberies and thieves are a common concern people tended to travel in packs they join in caravans with camels and other effective ways to tow their goods um it's too long for most people and they needed these links to you know set up shop sell it to the next person and the next person can take it along and everything which starts these travel posts these trade kind of centers and it's almost like hotels start popping up it's Mm -hmm. just like cities are essentially creating places for short-term stays it makes sense it's because it's like like around train station cities pop up yeah yeah exactly Mm -hmm. And, and the interesting thing is that they were the these old cities that were established by the older civilizations are suddenly super important and they kind of revive as a hub for trade in some places Mm. so they have like the bones to work with. (laughs) yeah it is um and yes this is the trade route that was made partially famous by marco polo that we always hear about marco i just knew it as a pool game as a child Oh. But I figured out what it was a few years ago who Marco it, it, Polo actually was. It took was. me a long time to, like, connect. Because no one ever sits you down and explains, like, yeah. the Marco Polo game and Marco Polo mm-hmm. are the same. Like, that's that dude. That's yeah. why it's called that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't know, Marco Polo was... He he traveled the a good chunk of the Silk Road and went and saw all this stuff and did all these things and met all these high-ranking people. And we will he... be doing an episode on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. And he documented his travels really well. So, due to um, the, what was going on when Marco Polo was alive, the Mongols actually had a pretty big influence on the Silk Road at that point. Mm-hmm. So... um. I'm trying to make sure I'm not moving my head too much because I feel like I'm going to look away from my mic and lose sound quality. Um, so yeah. <laughs> you yeah, haven't done it so far. <laughs> okay, good. I can't tell if I'm hearing my own voice or if I'm hearing it through my sound canceling headphones because it's, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot being traded on here and it's not just goods. The The ones I would consider to be most important are yes, physical goods, but you have religion, mm-hmm. um, disease mm-hmm. kind of, I, I I mesh ideas and technology in with goods, but they're, yeah. they're present as well. So these, yeah, yeah it, mm-hmm. it's hard because like some of the goods include technology. And yeah. I'll start with them. Then well, maybe, yeah. Explain that. I would do like goods would be technology. And yeah. Then, like, ideas. Yeah. Developed like yeah. M- made things. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're starting in, the west and you're headed to the east so you're kind of what's now europe and you're starting to head towards kind of central asia you're bringing things like horses and riding equipment and when i say technology we're not you know we're not talking about your nintendo ds <laughs> yeah. like the what you mean i can't take my switch to china <laughs> <laughs> i need a battery pack it's not gonna make it the whole way mom my switch died can you <laughs> use your charger <laughs> can you it up to the car um uh, <laughs> like for them riding equipment is technology you know at one point the wheel was technology so that's what i mean when i say technology (laughs) um and this actually ends up helping the mongols expand their empire the imports of horses and saddles yeah um metals like gold and silver armor which was a very technology oriented oriented it required a lot of technology to figure out Mm -hmm. how you the smelting process and all that other stuff yeah and not only just technology but like how to do it which is right. very valuable mm-hmm. yeah and slavery is getting picked up along the way unfortunately glassware furs fruit like uh grapes is starting to make its way towards asia other animals that are native to the area Um, I'm trying to think of what's native to that area cats i believe were native, native to which area i want to say they were around they're kind of native to like what you what's now like egypt, egypt and stuff yeah yeah, and yeah, then they because I mean, they were domesticated animals start getting moved. Because cats this are from deserts, so mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that's probably where cats are from. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that one I'm pretty sure that it's that cats are, but y'all might want to double check me on that. Sorry, tweet at me if I'm wrong yeah Mayapapa. we're not we're not animal historians i am not um, <laughs> if that even exists yeah it probably does it probably there's does. if y'all are interested in a really specific part of history make your bones with it guys like be that one person who becomes oh, a yeah. professor of like uh uh-huh. pickle jars oh that was a really loud pop i'm sorry guys um yeah be that person yeah um someone will hire you maybe they, they will you someone. can write a fun little book and have it published at mm-hmm. barnes and noble yes
1: <laughs> that would, I would read
0: a history of the pickle jar I would so headed the other way we're thinking opposite direction we're going from Central Asia back towards what we now have as Europe we see silk textiles and the dyes in technology to make them tea, porcelain, jade, rice and while armor is moving from Europe towards Central Asia um, China is sending them gunpowder and mm. which is arguably reinvents modern warfare oh what do you mean arguably it definitely does it does i just don't i should say arguably is the most important i don't i would say that it is i mean in china it definitely revolutionizes years before yeah but it was just fireworks it was like fireworks Mm -hmm. and they they saw the potential for weapons Mm -hmm. but like it they, like I said, the development of technology took a while for them to kind of yeah. use it as actual gunpowder and not just as an It was kind of like the powder. resource was there but they like didn't quite know what to do with it yet. Yeah, yeah. And so by the time this gets to Europe, it changes the way Europe can fight and mm-hmm. it's a it, massive influence. Yeah. The silk um, on these roots were often brought to Europe and used in the high class clothing and garments and stuff, but it, most of it had to be made in China, both mostly because of availability of materials and the technique. They did an incredible job, good job, of keeping the process on silk making pre- like, pretty darn secret in cool. China. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you have something that makes up mo- yeah. a huge chunk of your country's in tr- income, you don't really want to just be like sharing those yeah. secrets i'll tell everyone yeah but for it to this industry to stay localized because i'm sure people you know found out how it was made or could have asked or could have you know business espionaged it and figured it out or snuck someone in to spy and see the process it, it stays mostly in china and has to get shipped outward but it's not just a clothing material it's Used for art and writing before mm-hmm. standard paper was created. So mm-hmm. you know they talk about really old silk. Um, what is the like like scrolls and stuff had to be made out of um, had to be made out of silk, and it was an industrial thing too. You could use it for um, fishing line. Mm-hmm. You could use it for so is, many things. It's strong. It's silk is very strong, yeah. and it's also. It, the term is not diverse. It's multi useful as as a, yeah as a clothing. We don't most people don't experience this now because what we have is or call silk is usually just really bad polyester reproduction <laughs> these days. But real silk um, is it breathes incredibly well. So in the summer it keeps you cool, but it's also a great insulator in some ways because it can keep you warm in the winter. It's a very versatile kind of cloth. It's very cool. useful. Um, but, I mean, India is also producing cotton textiles at this point that are very, very nice. Uh, East Africa is contrib- contributing ivory. And, like I said, these branches are coming from everywhere. So, yeah. there's no... For the first time ever, there's no limit to what you yeah. could try and get your hands on. I It's mean, a really it might interconnected world. Yeah, yeah, if you had the money, you could get what you wanted, mm-hmm, though. You can get anything. Mm-hmm. And, like I said... Silk at first was used for scrolls. And I mean, I think were the Egyptians the first ones to use papyrus and make like a real writing or was it China? I feel like uh, China had it first. I think so. Uh, I don't want to misquote you know us. What? Yeah. Yeah. Don't was, take any of that for where I can't remember yeah. if pot, like, yeah. papyrus or functioning paper was made first. I can't first. remember either. We did learn about that. But no. yeah, but anyway. Either way, China's version of paper starts to arrive in Europe through this these trade routes and it starts stimulating mass communication through written word which leads to letter writing larger efforts at education eventually they'll create the printing press and books and yeah so it it would be a lot harder it's kind of like the curve you wonder we talked about alan turing's machine if they had been able technology wise to get his ideas to work earlier? Like, how much further would we be ahead now in technology of computers? it's kind of like that. Like, I wonder if Europe had access to suitable paper earlier, what would we have written down that survived better? You know, know. would we have better quality transcripts? Yeah, well, that's the thing, too, about something like paper. We take paper for granted. Right. You know, we're sitting next to more paper, like, in your apartment with all your books and stuff. Like, more paper than most people would see in a lifetime. Yeah, And, like... That's so because it's such you know it just reminds you that everything does have such a deep and intense history to be where it is Mm -hmm. today because paper is, it's paper. With like we we've known about paper for forever, but they had to invent it and they had to figure out what works best and like and the stuff uh, we're inventing now like the laptop, the the iPads, the R technology. Someone and then however many thousand years is going to look at us and be like what they didn't have this Just rudimentary they, like, not think of this? what do you mean you didn't have a microchip in your brain <laughs> uh i wish well, i could play music 24 7 without having to carry oh, that would be amazing. headphones right so convenient i know right anyway <laughs> anyway but that also makes me think of the whole um you are your ancestor's greatest dream and in so many ways i think that's so true because yeah. i mean obviously there's like you know the like people of color, like just the struggles they have to face. Like right. people of color now aren't facing the same struggles; they're mm-hmm. still facing a lot of struggles. Right. Not exactly the same struggles. Y- yeah, but like it has a good point too. There's so many other meanings of like. Like if you think back to your ancestors, ancestors, yeah. like they couldn't even dream of this stuff. Yeah. Like again, I know I said it last episode or the episode before that. No, last episode. What is Wi-Fi? Like right. what is that? Well, I, I still don't know. <laughs> like, like how? And but, like no one would even like i mean maybe there was an idea the clothes you're wearing right now i'm sure where the cotton was probably from texas um that's my guess because texas makes a lot of cotton but it was probably shipped out somewhere to be made into a shirt then Mm -hmm. shipped probably i'm guessing china to be printed i don't know uh this was hand screen printed by an artist in philadelphia okay so For if you're interested, hipsters. it's an it interest. I love this guy. His name is Heavy Slime on Instagram, and oh. it's a pretty cool shirt. Nice. I don't even see. It. Oh, that's cute.
1: Right? Oh, I like
0: that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that, but I'm a little nervous to wear it in public. You don't have to. Wear that in public. <laughs> but in general, like stuff gets shipped in across more miles than I will ever travel in my life, just to be part of a mass market T-shirt campaign. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. it's crazy mm-hmm. because this stuff would never yeah never be a thought in someone's a glint in someone's eye. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I digress anyways, but with the good things that are being passed around the world and cultures and like cultural items that other people are getting to experience, which includes spices. so thank you for shipping spices around. I know that a yeah, lot of thank you people <laughs> don't utilize them correctly, but I appreciate I it. appreciate. Mm-hmm. Several good spices in all yes, my meals. I do. Also, I think I've determined that parsley is one of my favorite flavors, which is interesting. Really, I love parsley. Well, I love cilantro. In my oh, sister, I do like cilantro. My too. sister has the bad taste but the soap, well, the soap DNA, which her life is really bad. Growing up in San Antonio, cilantro so good, it's so good. I know my dad and I pile it on everything. Yeah, for like cilantro is good, obviously for like Mexican flavored stuff. But like parsley I mean, you ever for like had more, cilantro more... On salad though, yeah. But okay. that to me, cilantro is like a very. It makes things like more Mexican, quote unquote. Hmm. Like I don't know. I just it I makes eat it like it, on it adds every, it to, I'll like that it flavor. Anything. I don't know. My brain categories. No, I. I, I mean, it traditionally and is used in those yeah. dishes. Yeah, and so like when I taste it, I'm like, oh, it's like a. Guy sound so white, but I was like, oh, it's like a Mexican style. <laughs> I huh. promise I'm from Houston, Texas. I know what Mexican food is. <laughs> like, But whenever things just have a certain flavor, gotcha. I just I just put it in that category. No, I feel that. You know, it could be like the whitest dish ever, but if you put some cilantro on it, I'm like, is this like a Mexican thing? <laughs> no, I know that it's not, but my brain is like. Your brain. Yeah. They connect the flavors. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. got that. Well, I just assign flavors to certain groups. Yeah. We yeah. appreciate that spreading of s- spices across these trade routes. Because what are we talking about today? <laughs> I don't know. Um, sorry, I'll let gotta you we got to get our lives together. They're going to stop listening to our podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry, y'all. It's the end of the semester. We're going to blame it on that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. No, cat. we're being charming. So I don't know what you're I'm just distracted by the Shadow and Bones release still thinking about now password. you're talking about something sorry, completely different anyway, <laughs> disease we're going to talk about disease now because of course there's a flip side to having a inter what did, i don't want to say international but it interconnected, interconnected community a
1: more routes.
0: a more interconnected world yes that there's there's a drawback um we're experiencing that now yep. um big time And we are still experiencing the effects of that drawback. Yes. Specifically in America. (laughs) Yes, we are. And and we probably always will be. mm -hmm. Anyway. Anyway, um, Europe is, y'all probably, when you hear bubonic plague, you think of Europe. But there's a lot of research backing up the, almost, I believe it's commonly taught. I always taught this in high school. That it actually, this plague, the bubonic plague, the Black Death, started in Asia. And it started making its way west multiple times throughout the span of the Silk Road's existence and it spread along these kind of routes that it didn't originate in one time in one place it flared up over and over again Um, it was a problem in 534 AD and 750 AD and the one that we commonly know as the bubonic plague um was a surge that probably also flared up in Asia and then moved west in about hmm. 1340s. I want to say it was 1346 was like the peak of it. Yeah. It decimated Europe's population. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that there are certain communities that never really had an issue i did hear that and it's there be- would be like just pockets like little towns well, where I it mean, was like wasn't and there's interesting stuff about that and i think we yeah. we're going to talk about this later we're gonna so yeah we're this we're we're gonna do very a soon going to do pandemic a episode. pandemic episode and um we're gonna make it timely but not just those little pockets where random towns had like a, a common practice that mm-hmm. made everyone basically immune yeah but there was there with all these traders some of them had built up immu- an immunity yeah, they had built a resistance. Both nom- you know, there's nomadic people yeah. and people who traded for a job. They weren't as likely yeah. to get it, and that if that they did sense. contract it, their bodies were more used to fighting off disease, yeah. and they were safer. You know, it's there's that I don't know what it's called, but it's like basically the global germ like hierarchy or something where it's like the type and the like intensity of the diseases in like each region of the world is like ranked Hmm. and i think africa is like considered like the most dangerous and then europe is like right after it um it's not surprising no like not at all but so that's why and then the americas was like really low So that's why European diseases just decimated America the way that they did Hmm. because of, like, their, like, type and their strength of germ. That and targeted biological genocide. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, like, there's a reason why it was so effective. Right. And it's because of this, like, global germ hierarchy. Yeah. It's really interesting when I heard about that. I'll have to look into that. That does sound interesting. when it explains why also these... Homogeneous populations in europe got hit so much harder yeah. because they they didn't have a resistance they were in such a centralized place and they were tightly packed that's not to mm-hmm. say other places weren't and other yeah. places were affected very badly by this but what was the population loss it was a third it was a third and yeah. i think like in london it was half in some places it was half in europe overall it was a third some places it was a little less and some places it was like a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I, I know London lost yeah. I think half yeah. Uh, I I I'm like ninety nine percent sure it was half the population. Yeah, London's I know lag. for sure some places I couldn't tell you which ones. I believe you. But yeah. well we'll go <laughs> back to the yeah. um Again, we're gonna do a whole episode, so we can we'll, we'll get some stats for you. Yeah. And we can attribute this biggest dip in human population in history. Well decimation of human population yeah. in history percentage wise Probably wouldn't have been as bad if the Silk Road hadn't, yeah, you know, existed. It would have come in pockets. Maybe they would have had time to build immunity or herd immunity. Mm-hmm. We can't predict that. It's such a difficult yeah. thing to predict. Diseases well, I think, don't spread I easy, mean, the same way twice. Yeah. So. And I was like, you know... Something if the Silk Road didn't exist, something like the Silk Road would have. Right. People are going to trade. Like, right. Well, and, and like I said, the Silk Road originated in nomadic tribes and stuff, mm-hmm. mo- moving around. Mm-hmm. You know, someone would have passed something along, and it would have yeah. exploded. There's among like the no version of history where a disease like the bubonic plague didn't mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Yeah. It would have happened eventually, and mm-hmm. and it's also proved by the fact that measles and smallpox are flare up along the Silk Road multiple times. Yeah. And those are. He, they they didn't decimate the population as badly just because the style of the the type mm-hmm. of sickness it is but it's also a danger to it's just the danger of face-to-face contact and commerce across this space and so while they are exchanging goods they're passing along some incredibly dangerous pathogens that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we still have measles and smallpox and yeah <laughs> we still we can get vaccinated for them so yeah But one of the good things that does get passed along, we're going to end on a semi-high note, we're (laughs) going to talk about religion. Is that from... No, that was from nothing. That was just me being... Oh, I thought you were going to do, like, History of Japan. Oh, no. That's probably... (laughs) It's probably in there somewhere. Well, it sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah. I just try to form my life to sound like the History of Japan. Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> China gets a very specific type of Christianity through the Silk Road. It's Nestorian Christianity. Oh, Interesting. I it didn't understand a whole lot about the. Yeah, like <laughs> Again, I mean, it, it uh, obviously we're not Bible scholars. You can track it kind yeah. of its progress, but it doesn't have very specific years or anything to it that I could find. Well, um, Christianity was never it never really took off. In, yeah. It it did in the but, East. But what's interesting is that Buddhism does. Yeah. And this is arguably the Silk Road's oh, I can't say that because it brought so many goods, but it's a huge part of the Silk Road is the Buddhism that it brought from India yeah. into Central Asia and China. Mm-hmm. So Buddhism is already established in India. Um the Buddhas already talked about the is it eight pillars? Yes. Is it eight? I don't know. I think it's eight. Yeah. Um, And so it's already taken hold there, but it's not quite as popular as it once was. But as soon as the Silk Road starts up again and it starts spreading information and ideas and people are talking about it amongst themselves, it's a very specific type of Buddhism called Mahayana Buddhism that starts to Mm -hmm. move out of India. Mm -hmm. And it just takes over in parts of Central Asia, Uh, Korea, Japan, and China all take part in this kind of revival and spreading. uh, I shouldn't say revival because Mahayana Buddhism is kind of its new thing, but spreading Mahayana Buddhism. And it doesn't exactly match the old form of Buddhism. Exactly. In this form, they, the Buddha is considered a divine being in, Mm -hmm. in the original. He, he wasn't. Yeah. And, Mm It has a different take on like Nirvana mm-hmm. and it's a little bit different, but it popularizes the concepts of Buddhism and and kind of spreads them to places where they would take hold unlike Christianity and they would be able to get a foothold among these people. It also helps that there are already monasteries along the yeah. route. Mm-hmm. So these monasteries almost become like trading posts. All of a sudden people are like, yeah. Yeah, no, like these monasteries should be taken care of. If you're Buddhist, you want to be able to be like stop at the monasteries and see them and support them. And if it spreads, you know, you're going to get more converts and more people in the monasteries. Mm -hmm. So it it, it helps trade routes and especially helps that Buddhism, a lot of, I don't know if the religious practice requires it or if it encourages it or if it was just the style, but silk is very important at this time in the monasteries. So you could you know, stop along trade your goods even with the monks and get some spiritual assurance while you're there. So it's yeah. a win-win for everyone. Interesting. And it just keeps going for a really long time until yeah. the Ottoman Empire has a little bit of a a scuffle and stuff and then other trade routes appear and become and popularized yeah, and technology gets better and It's it's the boats, it's always the boats. It's always the boats. Um but it largely, overall, the Silk Road is hugely influential for the merchant class. Because for the first time, we see real ability for the middle classes and lower classes to make money and mm-hmm. move up with some semblance of social mobility. You couldn't yeah. just, like, suddenly they weren't They weren't, like, king. considered royalty or, like, good, mm-hmm. like, not right. good, but, like, the but, higher class, actually. Exactly. But and they had wealth. They did, yeah. It's kind of like old. It definitely is like old money versus new money. Mm-hmm. Like we see that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so you couldn't, you know, work your way up into like being related with the king. or yeah. something. But you you had the chance to say like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna step out here, work with my hands, and then decide you're gonna be a trader someday and a yeah. merchant. And it was a risky life for sure, and mm-hmm. it was dangerous both from. I mean, getting lost in the desert is a huge problem. You don't usually yeah, definitely don't want to get lost in the desert. But definitely not. If, yeah, and I mean, working farm labor is not easy either, so at least you had a little bit more of a choice. Mm-hmm. A little more more like autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of historians now are just calling it this silk routes instead of, or routes, instead of the term silk road because it kind of makes it sound like less of a continuous yeah. line and everything, uh-huh. but through the consistent handing off information and goods and everything, people were finally able to connect their cultures and communities mm-hmm. and ideas and it changed history arguably more than anything else we've seen yet. Yeah. Very influential. Good job, Kat. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, My brain's a little out yeah, of it today. Let me be honest. So I don't know how I ended up being into history because one of the first like memories i have of like a distinct history assignment Mm -hmm. was i was in middle school and i've always been a procrastinator so that is definitely why this happened but mood i was had this stupid assignment i still remember it we had to find three travelers who traveled the entire silk route and then like draw a map of them. And I of course procrastinated on this and went into the night before and I was uh- so stressed out and it was I couldn't find anyone and I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what any of this means. My middle school education was a little weird. Um, except a weird teacher who like didn't really teach history. Um, so it was just kind of a mess. And what? that's like one of the first experiences I can remember of like I'm Sorry that me you were like scarred by the Silk Road. <laughs> No, I mean, like, ever since then, I haven't really, like, wanted to learn about it, but now I'm, like, I could, I, I feel like I'm ready. It's time to revisit Bye. the Silk Road. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. You're on your phone, so that's really No, rude. sorry. I, my <laughs> boss literally emailed me, and she never emails me, and I just got mm-hmm. three. Three emails from your boss? Yeah. So, I was checking. No. I guess that's important. Okay, we're good. It's nothing, it's nothing <laughs> emergency. It just... Uh, the first one said, Cat. The second one said you, and then the third one said are fired. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. That's what the email said. That's why she emailed you. It had to be official. Okay. She, she wanted to make a statement. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and she just asked me about something I left at my desk. Oh. Oh. No, 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 not in a bad way. Oh. She just wanted to make sure the paperwork was right. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Your turn. <sighs> My turn. So today I'm doing something very different from The Silk Road, and I am covering The Life of Zelda Fitzgerald, aka the original Topper, aka the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl.
1: That's what I I'm love
0: going it. To so I have a few things to mention. Well, two things to mention. So, as we mentioned before, it's really hard with certain things in history. To interpret things as true. Mm -hmm. Because in this story, especially if the historian you are reading favors Scott. So F. Scott Fitzgerald, who went by um, Scott, Mm -hmm. the author, and he's very famous, Great Gatsby, all that kind of stuff. And then his wife, Zelda, if they favor one or the other, they, like, destroy the other part of the relationship. So if a historian is telling Scott's story, they're going to think Zelda is, like... Horrible, crazy, bad mom, blah blah blah. But She's if the a story a is, sexist. yeah, and if it's, in a, blah blah blah, if a historian is covering Zelda's story, they're gonna think Scott is like a drunk, manipulative, abusive, all that kind of stuff. Um, I will say right now, I lean towards Zelda's side of things because women were not treated fair at this mm-hmm. time, and Scott was a piece of work. <laughs> so I just want to say that. And even when I was doing research, I listened to two different podcasts trying to like. Um, to do this and one of them is the History Chicks episode on this. They did such a great job. It was so in-depth and the articles I can find online about her and um, the resources I had available to me when I was doing these notes were like surface level. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this woman has a whole life. Like, why are we only talking about her like in relationship to Scott? And I was like, (sighs) so thank you to the History Chicks. A lot of these notes are taken from them. Of course, I did not plagiarize and I put it in my own (laughs) words but um just shout out to them i am citing my sources and they do a really good job of conveying like a lot of the crazy stuff that happens and since they have a two hour long episode on just her um (laughs) and i have 30 minutes roughly i'm I'm gonna take more than 30 minutes to do this but yeah but um yeah so it's going to be it's interesting. I'm having to leave a lot of, a lot out, but if you want to know more, listen to the history checks. But anyway, so I listened to these two podcasts and both podcasts really exemplified that if you go by Scott's story, Zelda's crazy. If you go by Zelda's story, Scott's crazy. And I was just like, this is insane. And not to speak bad on either of the podcasts I listened to, like they're very well-known history podcast, but like it just shows like what sources you look at. Or how you're going to feel about that story, yeah. and it's so interesting. And especially this more than like a lot of stories I've seen, you can really tell the bias and the historian doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so just want to add that as a preface um, before we jump into this. So, Jelfit, <laughs> wow, <Jill laughs> you started bad. I started bad. We're it's that kind off of day. To a great start today, guys. <laughs> We've done your entire part. Don't remind me. <laughs> Why don't you just clip that to your collar? Oh, I forgot I can. I'm simultaneously <laughs> trying to respond to my boss and have the mic, and I forgot I can pin that onto my. Okay, well now the cat has that situated, and I've also situated myself <coughs> and drink some water and um had a cough. Yeah, so let's get into the real <laughs> Zelda Fitzgerald now. Now I'm ready to do my story. Okay, so Zelda Fitzgerald was born in Montgomery, Alabama, on July 24th. Her father was a man by the name of Anthony Dickens Sayer, a prominent judge who would serve on Alabama's Supreme Court. Hmm. He was very serious, very no-nonsense. Not a bad dad, but not a very attentive one. He didn't seem very interested in his children. Okay, um, That's sad. It, it's sad, but as far as childhoods go, not the worst. Especially because the mom, Minnie Buckner Machin Sayre, um, was by all accounts, a great mother. She was a stay-at-home mom. She was very free-spirited. She was an artist. She was a painter. She kind of encouraged her children to do creative things. Um, excuse me. And I don't know. She just seemed like a really great and attentive mom. And she apparently, she was a very busy woman. She had quite a big household to manage. Uh, there were five kids and and I think Whoa. some parents that lived with them. I didn't realize there were um, that many kids in that Yeah. So she was a very busy woman, but apparently she t- was very set on making sure her kids felt attended to and would like carve out time specifically to hang out with each, which, with each kid. That's so like great, so good. great lady. Uh, the only thing I could see about like her childhood that was a little rough was apparently the mom was like kind of going down this course of like maybe a movie star or something, and then kind of got married to the dad after out of convenience, and then. Was like, oh, I'm never gonna have that life. And so Aww. there might have been a little like animosity there, but none yeah. of that really like kind of bled to the kids. So many mar- its so hard to tell though, because so many marriages were just utilitarian. Yeah, like- and I think this very much was that mm. was the case because apparently, like when the dad came home, he didn't really care what the kids were doing as long as they were being quiet and like, mm-hmm. not father don't bother your father, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, very, um, um Mary Poppins esque. Yes, family Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Zelda was named after two fictional characters. Um, they kind of smashed their names together. So these two fictional characters were the old word for what we would now call a Roma or Romani person just because there's a conversation happening around the word it starts with a G I don't we have decided not to say that word because <laughs> we don't want to offend anyone and of course it would be unintentional but just just so we're not offending anyone uh we don't want to have that word just know that it's the old word for the roma people Mm -hmm. that is offensive (laughs) and it's always been offensive and especially because it's you know the roma people have always been kind of looked at as like odd or strange because they just don't follow that same kind of like very proper european and like white Mm -hmm. american society and like all the rules and stuff Mm -hmm. so there's there's been a lot of um Talk about that word. So just so we're being clear. The word wasn't correct either. Yeah. Because they came, they, they named, Yeah, they got that name from a derivative of another nationality that yeah. wasn't true either. So. Yeah. So just, you know, to <laughs> to be as We're going to be careful safe. as possible. Yeah. Let's be as careful as possible. We don't want to offend anyone. Uh, so I'm not going to say it. But anyway, so it's kind of like, it's, it seems like from the beginning, she was kind of set up to be a more free spirited, non-traditional. Mm-hmm at least according to white American standards. Yeah. Individual. Um, So (sighs) she had a great childhood. Like I said, she apparently was known as a really sweet kid. She never had any major problems. She was kind of goofy. She always kind of had like, scratches and bruises and bumps on her leg mm-hmm. which is like not proper because like her dad was old money technically but like he didn't have any money huh. <laughs> so he's like old money family but no yeah. money so like she was expected to be like proper and and she lives in montgomery alabama so there is like a kind of so- the yeah. southern southern woman so but she like was like no i don't want to do this and she even like resisted going to school until she was seven which was like the last time they could love it like like, no one cared until after you were seven if you went to school or not. Mm. <laughs> um, which, apparently, I think is still the case in Alabama. Really? Yeah. Like, no one will, like, come looking for you until yeah. you're eight and <laughs> you Whoa. didn't go to school. Didn't yeah. realize that. I think most people in Alabama go to school at five, but uh, that's just because it's part of the culture now. Mm. Um, so, she apparently read quite a bit and was allowed to read as basically anything she wanted to, like, no limits on what this child could read. One of her favorites was Alice in Wonderland. So, and apparently she loved it so much that she transcribed it by hand just for fun. Like, wrote out the entire book just for fun. Um, Okay. So, she's she's a little bit of a weird kid. But, I mean, what else did you have to do? It was, like, 1906 and... True. Yeah. So, she's born in 1900. So, it was, like, the 19 zeros and... What else did they have to do? They didn't even have radio yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was also apparently into Aristotle and Plutarch, and was very fascinated by civil war history. So quite an odd kid. I mean, I feel but like she I would like love this kid. I know. But, I'm yeah, like, but, you but, gotta but love the weird standards. kids. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, it was back in the day. She was supposed to be a lady, but she's like, no, I want to read this book by Aristotle because why not? And I can read. So, have, like, happy childhood. Apparently, when she was younger, she had this, like, gang of friends that she would hang out with. One of them being Tallulah Bankhead, who would go on to be a famous yeah. old Hollywood star. Um, And she kind of, like, was someone that Zelda kind of compared herself to the whole her whole life. Because Aww. they started in the same place, and Zelda, like, had these aspirations mm-hmm. to be the famous. And she is famous in her own right, but, like, not that, like, star level of fame. Yeah. Um, Which so, is funny because I think, like, in the long run, Zelda's gonna be the more memorable one. Oh, for sure. Like, I know the name Tulu the Bankhead, but only because I had a cousin who was like obsessed with old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I can't say that I would if I didn't have that person in my life. But um, so her, like, kind of start of the rest of her life. Was at 15, she so she was into ballet as a child and she apparently was pretty talented. And at 15, she danced in a ballet performance that was, um, open to the, like the county, um, or the community. It was either community or county, uh, I forget which C word <laughs> anyway. It was kind of like her coming out, huh. like socially, even though it wasn't like, like a an official, kind of yeah, thing. like a debutante huh. thing. And I, I can't remember if she ever had an official coming, like a debutante coming out thing mm-hmm. into society, but this definitely was her unofficial one and it was a very effective one because apparently the whole town was just so enraptured with her skill and beauty and grace on stage that she instantly became an overnight popularity sensation. And the whole town just kind of spooned over her. They loved her and she became the socialite of the town. She was kind of involved in all of your kind of 1950s, like Mm -hmm. 10s, like classic high school stuff she graduated in 1918 so like oh wow it like she did stuff like like swimming and like a modern bathing suit and she like cliff wow. dove and like went and like what a daredevil like made out with people like make out point she went to parties and apparently like at these dance parties she would do like close dancing so it was like scandalous Rebellious. and like so i the history chicks on their podcast they talked about how like there there was this certain dance where it was, like, by invite only. And the boys would, like, put up a list of girls at the local sandwich shop. And if you weren't on that list, you couldn't come to the party. And Zelda okay. was at the top of the list every time. And they because of course, that bullying is a modern issue. <laughs> <laughs> People have always been assholes. I know. <laughs> um, so she was living it up in high school. And apparently she <laughs> – this is funny – There was a whole, it was unofficial, but a whole fraternity, a whole brotherhood at Auburn University. Hey, that's one of our friends alum. Really? Who? Oh, cool. She did her undergrad. Oh, okay. Good for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so they made this fraternity, a brotherhood in her honor. And it was called Zeta Sigma. So ZS, which was her initials at the time. And guess what you had to do to get in? Oh no! Is it something horrible? You had to harassing? have been denied by her. Oh. You had to have confessed your love and been rejected by the great Zelda. Well, imagine to, uh, gain being, entry into this brotherhood. Imagine being so like have they talk about like women fielding marriage proposals left and right, and I'm like that. She this probably woman actually was to, to like the left right. day like her whole life. No, I'm not even kidding. Like people fell in love with her, and like not even just men, like she had had a lot of women friends too and i and the history trick said like maybe it was because she was just brave and she was genuinely nice and sweet but she was just brave imagine that much charisma in one person i know i know irresistible i know and she no it's no wonder she had like the whole town under her thumb and like everywhere she went people just fell in love with her um so yeah so she was the belle of the town everyone loves zelda she yeah and I keep mentioning the history tricks because, again, like, their episode is, like, basically where these notes came from. They have so many specific stories about, like, her growing up, her childhood, her teenage years, and the rest of her life that I just couldn't include for, like, time Mm -hmm. reasons. So, like, if you want to know more, like, little stories, because there's so many, like, go listen to that episode. It's great. Um, However, not everything was good. There is a suspicion that she may have been the victim of a sexual assault. During her teenage years, which is thing kind of is like, that, like I feel like most women back then were sexually assaulted and didn't yeah. understand what it was or yeah. didn't like because I think now we're much more strict about what we in to in a good way. We are very aware of everything that constitutes mm-hmm. assault. Mm-hmm. And I think women back then weren't and it's, it's yeah. like it's like trigger warning over yeah. here, but like marital um Cat's bleeding. <laughs> I know like marital assault now yeah. these days like that wasn't a thing in like the 50s and stuff yeah. like that wasn't i mean it was a thing but, but like people didn't, but they didn't have a name for it yeah so it, I, I it wasn't considered a thing it like, was probably a huge issue yeah so... In this time period. And, and the reason was... why... So it's never been confirmed if this really happened or not. Um, the reason why people think it happened is because a lot of the books she would later write were extremely autobiographical. Mm-hmm. So they were fictional, but it was based on her life. And it was, like, really obvious to tell. Yeah, And so in one of her books, she writes about a sexual assault event that happened to her or back, happened to her character in the book. Mm-hmm. And so people kind of... Are, they kind of are like, okay, this Made is probably job. what happened yeah. to her. Um And apparently in the book she writes that it was committed by kind of the two very popular boys. So she couldn't come forward about it. And if she had, like people wouldn't have believed her and that kind of stuff. So stuff that still happens today. Um wow. Yeah. So this is kind of like an undercurrent. And of course, you know, as we go on, you'll kind of see like not great things happen to this woman, Poor but girl. she kind of like persists. So, yeah, um, so as she kind of grows up late late high school, kind of early adulthood, uh, the Wright brothers' flight depot kind of moves into town, so we have all these pilots, and apparently um Pilots would, like, drive outside her, fly outside her house to, like, impress her um, and, like, wiggle their tail fins <laughs> to, like, wow. say hi. These men were dedicated. I mean, you just have them lemonade on your porch and, you're like, oh, there's another suitor. <laughs> yeah. And in addition, there is a military base right outside of Montgomery and at the time had around 20,000 soldiers. So, like, she had all these men to choose from and they were all obsessed with her. So she, uh, actually, her and her friends would prevail would form a group called the jelly beans and kind of have their own circuit of like wow. dancing and performing. Like this is the kind of stuff that I guess, you know, she, she was very, This is why people call her the original flapper. Cause yeah. she was so just, she was such a spirit. <laughs> um, and she met F Scott Fitzgerald at a dance when he was in the military. Um, and he apparently was surprised when she wasn't immediately drawn in by his charms, which is, I mean, I think it sets the tone for the kind of guy he was. <laughs> um, I didn't. So for some reason, I thought that she they only started like that relationship after he was famous. So here, here's how that worked out. Okay. So they met when she was, I think, like seventeen, eighteen, late high school. Okay. And um, they were dating, kind of. However. <laughs> However, they both still dated, but they were like each other's like number one priority. But they like very openly had like other relationships and will like oh. talk to each other about it. Very interesting. So it, it kind of carries on like this. Um, they have a weird, again, it, it's a weird. And just to give you a little background on Scott, he is from St. Paul, Minnesota. And his whole life he had this kind of complex. And it was the, woe is me, I'm not old money complex. Even though his mother apparently was extremely wealthy. And it's St. Paul, Minnesota, so it's, like, not an old money town. So, like, in St. Paul, like... Mo- new money and old money were the same thing so like he could get into anywhere the old money could because yeah. he had money but no he had this whole like complex his whole he life he wanted to be a victim yeah he wanted to be a victim which again that's why i think a lot of people call her like the world's first manic pixie dream girl because <laughs> f scott fitzgerald was like this brooding author type and like you know I mean- and then zelda was this like lively vivacious Energetic. It's the. And it's exactly. It's like manic Pic- like, yeah, pixie. Yeah. Pixie dream and girl. April. Yeah. Or like any other manic pixie dream That's girl you could think of. But like, it's. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. But anyway, so he has this like whole complex. And so they meet he wants to join he joined the army to go fight in world war 1 however by the time he's done with like basic training and everything and he's ready to be deployed the armistice is signed so he never got to like see war um so i mean which is probably for the best because uh, like yeah. we're not having war anymore so i'm yeah. not going to say anything bad about that he moved to new york like while they're kind of doing this like dating but not dating and during their time in new york they're exchanging like all these letters like and stuff, and a lot of their letters have been published now, so you can go read them if you want. They're very passionate, <laughs> um, and <laughs> there are, a lot about the relationship is kind of revealed in these letters, but apparently... So he's in New York for a couple of years, and Zelda is being Zelda, and she's flirting with all the guys because she's like, yeah, I kind of got this guy, but like, you know, he's dating other people. I'm dating other people. It's not, so serious. And go going steady, like, well, yeah. they are. That's the weird thing. I They're know like, they are going steady, I know. but not by like that normal like. They're, I'm going to preface this steady. now. Their whole relationship is so, wow. It's so hard to explain, and it starts from, like, literally day one. And, ready. Um, So, apparently, while he's in New York, he decides, okay, I want to marry this girl, and he writes to his mom and says, hey, send me you know, grandma's ring, or whoever's ring it was, family ring, mm-hmm. and I'm going to mail it to her, and I'm going to propose. So, she gets mailed this ring. She accepts. So, she's, like, engaged now, like, through mail. <laughs> you know, what? at least not then- have that really awkward, like... <laughs> proposal <laughs> and then so apparently at one point she so she meets this like random frat guy he gives her his frat pin and but she's like engaged so she's like i have to get this back or else scott's gonna be mad Everyone so does when she mails so off, gifts. i know she mails off two letters the same day one of them is supposed to be to scott as just like a normal letter and the other is to apologize to the frat guy and say, sorry, we can't. I'm, like, I'm engaged. <laughs> you need to take this back, his pen. And apparently she gets him oh, mixed no. up. Oh, <laughs> no. No, 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 So whether or not she did this on purpose or an accident is very unclear. Um, maybe just to get Scott's attention. Like, I mean, hey, it. I'm talking to this guy and he gave me his pen. We're serious. Just to kind of get him to do something. Wow. But, like, he... Is like gets this letter and he's like, I've got to go marry her right now. And when, like, without telling her, comes down to Montgomery and like basically demands that she marry him. Like, and she's courthouse like, house wedding style? Yeah, like immediately. And <laughs> she's like, no. And she, like, ends their engagement. And here is one of the key parts of the story of, like, whether or not you interpret it based on Scott or Mm -hmm. Zelda. Because to Zelda, it's someone coming down and demanding to be married to you, even though you were in person for maybe, like, a year. Yeah. You knew each other in person, and it's just some guy that you've been writing letters with, and you don't really know where your relationship's at. Like, yeah, she accepted the engagement, but, like... I kind of feel like they need to talk about it a little bit more. Plan a wedding. (laughs) Yeah, like in person. Yeah, and he's just demanding all of a sudden, like, we need to get married now. But according to, like, Scott biographers, it's, oh, she ends the engagement. And I actually heard that on the two podcasts I listened to. because That that she's the one that ended the engagement. Yeah, well, uh, one of them kind of told my version of events that I Mm. just presented. And the other one was just like, oh, and Zelda actually ended the engagement. And it's this, what I'm about to say next is why it's so divisive in these biographies. Because they do eventually get re-engaged, and they're, like, never really separate. She just ends the engagement, and she finally agrees to re-engage, or to get back engaged with mm. him, after he does have some success with writing. So, oh. to Scott biographers, it's... A gold digger thing. Yes. And to Zelda biographers, it's, well, he comes into being demanding, and it could be to an extent a gold digger thing because she is used to a certain yeah. life and she's not acting for asking for like wealth because she was never wealthy mm-hmm. she was asking for st- like stability mm-hmm. and as we know like like scott had been proven at this point he mm-hmm. could have been the world's worst author yeah so like now we know he's a, he was a decently talented author because his books are still read to this right. day but like she didn't know that, right. <laughs> like, so like I can't say I blame her, especially when you're a woman and your whole livelihood counts on like what your husband does. Mm-hmm. So it's again, so to Scott Biographer, it's a kind of a gold digger thing, but to Zelda, it's like no, this is like a woman trying to, to like make sure, sure that she... she could survive. Yeah, yeah. So because you, you, a starving artist type in this time period, yeah. is not a good vibe. No, it's really not. Um. So finally, the two were married on April third, nineteen twenty, um, and. <laughs> This wedding was so unceremonious and the history tricks talked about like it must have been such a disappointment to everyone in Montgomery because it's yeah. like the like bell spell of the ball bell of the ball the star of the town has a wedding where all that all that are invited are like her sisters and it's like they don't even have a celebration afterwards and part of this is because apparently scott just decided that he needed to get married Uh, so it actually wasn't just decided i (laughs) i was gonna mention this Sorry, i didn't put in my notes but he apparently they had a pregnancy scare Uh. and so after they kind of resolved that she never was actually pre- pregnant, but apparently he did mail her some pills, um, Uh-oh. just in case. <laughs> um, she never was pregnant, but after they had that, they're like, okay, we got. I guess we need to like, we if we're going to be doing the do, yeah, we should probably be married, um, especially because it's 1920. So on April 3rd they get married, and Scott is in such a hurry that he basically allows no planning. He <laughs> mm. he, allows, he allows no planning. They don't even have a celebration afterwards, as I said. And the day of the event, he was so impatient that he didn't even let one of Zelda's sisters get there before what? he like started the, started the ceremony. Yeah. So like Can he chill a little yeah. bit? And actually the way he behaved with this wedding caused one of Zelda's sisters to basically identify this as this first incident as like kind of the beginning of the issues with the relationship and the issues with Zelda's mental state in like later life. Well, That already sounds kind of really manipulative, really controlling controlling and manipulative. And he's been like this since like he like went down to Montgomery and was like, you're going to marry me now. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> well, it's like for I don't know about girls back then, but for me, it's imperative that my sisters are at my wedding. If, you, yeah. if someone tried to start my wedding, without I can my imagine sisters, if I would like how kick them to the curb. Like I know, like she of course wanted her sister there, uh, and a reasonable <laughs> request. Yeah, so they didn't have so much of a of a honeymoon. Um, it, it was more like just kind of the beginning of the rest of their life, and let me tell you, they are known. To be, like, the it couple of the 1920s. When you imagine, like, the 1920s, like, lifestyle, yeah, it's Zelda and Scott Fitzgerald. Like, <sighs> like they lived it up. They went to parties all day long. They did, like, crazy stuff. like Like, jump into fountains in the middle of the day, in the middle of cities, and, like... You know, they they were like, so socialites and, and romantic and sweet. And part of me is like, damn, I could not keep up with that agenda. Oh, it's insane it's and exhausting. they like they burnt themselves out. Like it was crazy. And like as glamorous as it is, it's just still a very serious thing because they were alcoholics. Yeah. Oh, who wasn't during the they? I, when when I said alcoholics, I I mean like they drank multiple bottles a day, like uh, oh. a bottle with breakfast, a bottle of like gin with breakfast not just like okay a a bottle of wine with breakfast wouldn't be good either but a bottle of wine compared to a bottle of gin with breakfast is a big thing they would apparently um they would apparently just show up to parties have one drink and be passed out because they've been drinking all day (laughs) (laughs) because they like this is just how they live life was one big pre-game yeah (laughs) exactly and so like It's basically everything you could kind of imagine for this time period. Again, Zelda is called the first flapper. So she kind of embodies that craze, that societal moment and stuff. But their relationship was really rocky. Um, On the one hand, they had this kind of, uh, you know romance, we're so in love, we're so passionate about each other, we're just like two young kids, we're living it up. We yeah. we both have money, you know, Scott's having a little success with his writing this so is he can very reminiscent of like, it. some of the modern it couples who can yeah. they just go out to movie premieres and parties and all yeah. this stuff. Like this is crazy. Yeah. And so there's that side, but they argue a lot. That's not um great. they as passionate as they were for each other, they were also as like passionately angry as they were for each other. They had a very fraught relationship. They were always arguing. And yeah, so it was just kind of the two sides of the same coin. At this point, I don't think it had really like moved into becoming abusive. And I don't know how abusive it ever got. Definitely mentally abusive on Scott's part. I can't tell. I mean, if she, I I don't want to blame that just on Scott. If there Mm -hmm. were, if she was also, you know, yeah. Being aggressive or mentally yeah. manipulative or something like that or emotionally manipulative. Mm-hmm. But like alcohol does not help. No. We already no. tense relationships. So yeah. I cannot imagine how,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like behind, you know, at parties you put on a good face, but I can't imagine what was going on behind closed doors. Yeah. And exactly. So, like, we don't really know kind of the extent of the abuse. I'm going to go ahead and call it and say that uh, Scott was probably being manipulative and abusive in that way. Just because he shows that more obviously later. And so Mm -hmm. it definitely had to start now. Did there... Um, the the, You said that their letters are public domain now. Mm -hmm. Like, through this time period? We can... Yeah, you can... So, when I was looking it up, there's, like, whole books basically published um, of their letters back and forth. Because I'm curious how psychologically how they read into this part of their lives Mm -hmm. um that'd be a good article anyway uh so yeah so they you know it was a passionate in both ways relationship and it was for basically their whole time they were together so in 1921 zelda found out she was pregnant and was apparently very delighted she would have a daughter um named after scott mm-hmm. so <laughs> scott's full full name is francis scott fitzgerald and yeah. they named the daughter francis scott fitzgerald because <laughs> francis is a boy and girl name yeah. um but apparently she went by scotty which is real cute that's adorable um yeah so also during this time kind of early 20s zelda is uh she's identified publicly like a magazine apparently reached out to her and asked her to do a series of articles to define what a flapper was because she was like considered the, the first flapper. flapper and so at the time they were like recognizing like no she started this craze this is from her and so like you know scott's writing he's having some success uh you know zelda is also writing she does write she writes a lot in journals and stuff but she also writes like fiction yeah and she's writing too and so, they have like a decent, you know, it's I, they're still arguing and stuff. They still have like big problems, but I, on the surface, like they're keeping it together. Yeah. They're still crazy. They're still partying. They're still drinking. Um, even after having a child. So, like, mm. not focusing. Yeah. So soon, uh, Scott decides he needs to like buckle down and focus on writing for a while. So, they move to the south of France. And while they're in France, Scott was focusing on writing The Great Gatsby. Um, and so this is where I say kind of what we said earlier, but, um, and actually no cat and I were talking off mic about this, yeah. but this is where I plug Scott has published quite a few things at this time. A lot of it is either mm-hmm. Zelda's work, something Zelda said or stuff or how she acted or stuff straight from like her diary. Um, mm. and by work, I mean like she would edit scott's work a lot and Mm. they did work in tandem and there were accounts of her reporting or her publishing stuff under his name uh and them agreeing to do that because his name just got more money yeah um so it's like a strategic move however she never consented to like her likeness being depicted in his books she never consented to Mm. him basically taking paragraphs from her diary and publishing them so it's kind of a very complicated thing and so I'll get to it later, but basically, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah, I don't get. He's good vibes like, from it's kind that. of like that's a violation. It's of kind of like, yeah, you're my wife, and therefore, like, you're my property. Like, I have a right. Yeah, to this. like my intellectual property. Yeah, I don't like. That. Um, so don't love that. So you know, they're hanging out in France. Apparently, Zelda just gets to ha- like live life. Just a big vacation. They have their daughter with them, and so she's being a mom. She's she gets back into ballet dancing. I think and um she's painting she's doing all these creative pursuits she's writing and stuff and mm-hmm. so she's having a great time and uh she apparently befriends this group of aviators and they would hang out all the time and Zelda began to get close with one of them and then one day she just vanished they couldn't find her in the bars and the beach and all of her normal hangouts and they just didn't hear from her and so the this Daughter group of was aviators there, just and... yeah And this group of aviators just, like, left without ever really knowing, like, what happened to her or where she went. Now, there's a theory that um, during this time, Zelda had asked Scott for a divorce, and he basically locked her in the house. Oh, my god. Yeah, because in one of her writings, in one of her stories she writes... There's a character of like a character where she's being held against the will. That's and as some we know right there. Yeah, as we know, a lot of her writings were very autobiographical. Yeah, yellow yellow wallpaper, talk about yellow wallpaper. This is some Jane Eyre yeah. messed up. Ugh. Yeah. And we do know that also in the South of France, um, kind of after she resurfaces again, we do know that she did attempt suicide. And oh it was a friend who discovered her and kind of helped her walk off sleeping pills. Um, So she would survive. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, so that was kind of their time in France. Uh, Soon after, uh, I think Scott gets offered, yeah, Scott gets offered a screenwriting gig in California. So they moved to California. And so while they're in California and also kind of while they're still in France, Zelda's actions do become visually more erratic. And we don't really know why. Visually, as in, like, what the public can see? Yeah. Okay. Like, like if you were to read reports on Zelda's activities, oh, okay. yeah. you would kind of notice an uptick of, like, this seems like more, quote-unquote, erratic behavior. Yeah. Um, we don't really know why. And there is a history of mental illness in her family, but... We don't know if that's the cause because mm-hmm. there could be a million things. It could be mental illness, yes, but it could also be she's acting out to get attention from her husband who her husband obviously locking doesn't in a house. care or trying to get attention from other people so she can be like, hey, I need help or something like this. So we don't really kind of know why she chooses to act out or, you know, she we do think later that she could have had bipolar disorder so it could have just been that worsening and she's just having manic episodes and so it's so it's there's no way to tell because you know we're not (laughs) yes we're not psychiatrists in 19 like 25 when all this is happening what do you mean kayla time travel and get another degree (laughs) yeah um (laughs) if only imagine how many questions would be answered if we could do that Mm, um so socially because of this kind of increased erratic behavior Zelda began to be a source of pity for Scott. The public kind of began to look at Zelda as kind of a burden for Scott. And Scott internalizes this. Does Um, he add it to his victim complex? Yes, he does. All of a sudden, Zelda is blamed for everything. Um, When he moved to California and was offered a screenwriting gig and when it didn't get picked up by any movie studios or anything, it was her fault. And he punished her by bringing to the house a 17-year-old actress that he had a thing for. And there would uh, be several times when he would do stuff like this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because yeah. your wife won't write the whole thing for you yeah. and get it yeah. picked up. You're going to yeah. bring home an affair. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, and like I keep saying the History oh tricks episode, but they have a whole lot of examples for this where everything just became her fault. and. That is not a healthy, like, it hasn't been healthy from the start. But could you imagine just living in a house where everything, little thing that goes wrong is somehow, like, your fault and your problem? I feel so awful. I know. Um, Good news is, is she does pick up dancing again. I think I said that she was dancing in France. Mm -hmm. I think she never really gave it up, but now she like fully recommits. Mm -hmm. She is practicing like all day, every day. She has like teachers, instructors. Mm -hmm. She makes a dance studio in their house. Like she is fully recommitting to dancing as like part of her life. Um, She also manages to sell four essays that she writes. Um, And during this time, they're both alcoholics, but Scott definitely is way more alcoholic mm-hmm. than she is. They both have a dependence, but Scott is a full blown alcoholic. Yeah. And so during this time, uh, in like the 1920s, kind of end of 1920s, um, Scott publishes a series of like small articles and essays and journals and stuff like that. And a lot of people think that it might've actually been Zelda writing these and then oh. uh, getting published like under Scott's name yeah. or him just stealing her stuff. We don't really know. Um, so anyway, so she's, she got four things published separately. So we know for sure she's writing. Um, she's <laughs> again, she's dancing and there's a period of peace, but then uh, it kind of takes a turn for the worse. So their marriage began to dissolve fast in like the late 20s. And as we know, the 1929 stock market crash. Yeah. So they kind of, you know, they've been writing this high. They've been married for the whole decade. So it kind of would make sense that like things would Even begin all, to really kind of, especially with ages, how, yeah, yeah like you're, the end of your yeah. 20s is about you when you're like, okay, no, you can't do no, that. You can't live that way anymore, you yeah. know? And so a lot of things I think kind of contribute to this kind of, Devolution, if that's even a word. Yeah, devolution. Yeah. Devolution um, of their marriage. It we kind know of, what you mean. It, yeah, it, it crumbles. Um, so, this is when the first accounts of like physical abuse are reported. And as far as I know, the only accounts of physical abuse are ap- reported in this point of their marriage. They literally did the nastiest things. Whatever they could think of to ruin the other person's reputation, they would do it um <laughs> that sounds healthy and yeah of just and getting a divorce both of them do it and they would like start rumors about each other a big one well, uh, a big wait. one that they started both of them started about each other was that they were both gay so that scott was gay and uh (laughs) that zelda was a lesbian just covering for each other and scott yeah scott like wasn't just gay he was gay with ernest hemingway Uh so so, and zelda like started this rumor and was like oh yeah (laughs) and then scott was like oh yeah zelda's a lesbian (laughs) like why are you like you're still married just like like, what are you get a divorce um so, they were just... Their poor daughter. I, so, watching both of your parents get smeared okay. like this. So, here's the other. thing about Scotty. She actually remembers her childhood very fondly. Mm-hmm. Um, Props and to the, her. And the, uh, she doesn't spend a lot of time with her parents. Uh, that's understandable. She lives with... At boarding school, she lives with grandparents. She does not Maybe spend a lot of time the with... Her parents, which is definitely for the best, yeah. because apparently she got off pretty scot free. <laughs> hey, Scott T free? She's F Scott Fitzgerald free of her father. She didn't there see him go. a lot. <laughs> um, but she says so she like apparently like she's been interviewed and she is has like a very normal, healthy life. Awesome, much more than you would think would be the child of these people. Yeah, I'm glad. Like for her. these like insane, erratic. Like I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, so. Anyway, they just start being nasty to each other. And Zelda's kind of erratic behavior um, picks up because of this. And I think Scott's being erratic too. But, of course, I'm learning about Zelda right now. I'm not, I'm not learning about Scott. Yeah. So um, I think both of their behavior just worsens. And uh, it, it takes until friends from – so they're living in California. It takes until friends from St. Paul, Minnesota – come and visit that they are like no something's wrong with zelda because so many people so many in their social circle just knew zelda as that way yeah um that it was just normal mm. and so people from saint paul where they live for a while early in their marriage were like something's wrong here and she's not acting like the zelda that we know and love yeah and so which is heartbreaking yeah so eventually this and some bad kind of pr and i think uh Sorry, I'm losing my. Yeah. In, a, in another suicide attempt, uh, Zelda was committed to an institution in 1930. And this was an institution in Switzerland. And so the doctors did say that there were no signs of mental illness. So she had several different diagnoses, like, diagnoses mm. through her life. And it's the evolution of, like, psychiatry, but it's also, like, right. just different doctors. Um, so this first doctor kind of says, that they didn't really see any signs of mental illness, but there was obvious stress from the relationship, which was leading to a lot of her anxiety problems, mm-hmm. which that'll do it, you yeah. know? So she does get committed in 1930. And um, at this point in her life, she just kind of goes in... in. Sorry, excuse me. She's just kind of in and out of institutions, she doesn't really spend a big stint in them or out of them. Uh, she's it's just kind of a regular part of her life from this now or from now on. So she gets committed to a hospital in Switzerland and she is diagnosed and treated for schizophrenia. And um, schizophrenia, <laughs> schizophrenia, which is interesting because apparently schizophrenia was very new and they kind of treated it the way that they treated hysteria. It was kind of ah. like a catch-all. Um, that makes sense because yeah. like, someone would have noticed. Usually, doesn't schizophrenia come with like some hallucinations and stuff? Mm-hmm. And so, they so they I don't think she was experiencing anything before. like that. And isn't which it is why, like in your. Early 20s? I want to say that it manifests early 20s. So it was... She was 30 at this point. So, like, there was time for it to manifest. So I doubt it was schizophrenia, and so does, like, most other people. And they yeah. think most likely it was probably a form of bipolar disorder. They just slapped a label um, on it. And they just... Yeah. And it would have been called hysteria back in the day. But since yeah. schizophrenia was so new, it was, like, a catch-all. And yeah. they're like, oh, she's schizophrenic. <laughs> like, no, it, it's not what we kind uh. of think about today as schizophrenia. So... Even though... So, during her time, like, when she was first in this institution, Scott was not allowed to see Zelda for the first few months, which is common with treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. Um, So, even though he wasn't seeing her, he apparently had no problem telling all his friends about how crazy she was and how she tried to hook up with all the nurses, because, again, she's a lesbian, and Mm -hmm. how she made several... escape attempts how she tried to kill herself several times and oh, I'm like wow. none of this is happening yeah <laughs> like he's just lying and there's no way for him to know even if it was happening because they're not allowed to talk to each other right um and apparently which is interesting zelda did have eczema which would get worse in times of stress so of course while she's in these institutions she's stressed out yeah but her eczema would get noticeably worse when scott was due to visit So if that tells you anything about how, and this is a common problem that she has because they don't really live together for a whole lot after she starts like kind of being committed and stuff. So, and consistently for the rest of her life, every time Scott comes to visit, she, her eczema will worsen. Really? So if that says anything, it's literally a physical sign of how she feels about this. And it's because Scott would do really crappy stuff. Like, yeah brag about his life to her outside of the institution and how great he is and how he's getting all these women and stuff. In fact, he would bring his current girlfriends oh to gosh. see her at the hospital. So he's just being like a, dick. a dick. He's being yeah. a dick. Um, The good news is, is while she was at the hospital, she was still able to practice dancing. Good. Um, so, and she was able, and it was the only thing she really had to do. So she danced for like hours and hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was really something that like helped her get an outlet. Yeah into something even though apparently a random doctor did decide that it was dancing that was causing her mental illness um because of course they did because it I'm was 1930 an old male <laughs> doctor oh it for sure was um and so much so that he requested that that her teacher like stopped teaching her and her teacher came back with like no like she's, she's fine like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like this is fine i promise uh, so eventually, she was able to kind of uh, come out of the institution because apparently another diagnosis she got was that she was quote too ambitious and felt inferior to her husband. <laughs> so so that was the root of all she of was her being problems. Over emotional as a yep. woman. Yep. Yep. We okay. stopped using hysteria, and now we're just talking about all this stuff. So after she was, um, and so. It gets kind of confusing because she, like, stays in hospitals and out of hospitals. So, basically, after she comes back from Switzerland, she lives in Alabama with her mother. Um, so, she had a great time when she's in Alabama. And for the rest of the... She lives in Alabama, I think, when she wasn't in a hospital um for the most of the rest of her life mm-hmm. with her mom and she would paint and dance and express herself and i think her daughter would be there a lot of the time oh, good. and so it, it was really a healthy place for her and scott did not live in alabama but like i said whenever he came to visit her eczema would come back and be bad and uh Actually, the first time Scott came to visit or came to live in Alabama for a short time after the first day in the hospital, she asked to be taken back to a hospital. And this was her first, like, kind of recommitting Whoa. thing. And just because she was depressed and stressed out and was worried mm-hmm. about having a relationship with her or her husband again. But eventually, um, they did kind of, I guess, come back together. Uh, things... well while she was recommitted in this hospital she did well again she finished her first novel and sent it to a publisher and she started really painting and scott (laughs) scott was very upset that she finished this novel and she did go behind his back to his publisher to publish it but he was very upset because apparently he she again as we know her writing is very autobiographical biographical and so he included she included a version of him in his In her book, and he gets so mad that he like demands that she take sections out, and is like, "This is awful. You can't write him out. Me, you're not allowed." When even though he's been doing the same thing and worse for years. Yeah. So, yeah. So after that, all kind of gets resolved. It's kind of confusing their relationship. So they they kind of enter this kind of like low point, like Scott and Zelda aren't really having. Problems. I'm not sure if he's in Alabama or if he is. How often he's mm-hmm. in Alabama? But she kind of, when she comes out of the hospital for the second time, she um, continue. She. Is picking up. She's just painting like all the time. She's a very mm-hmm. creative woman. She's doing all her creative she seems pursuits. Like it. Yeah, and apparently Scott was very supportive of her painting, but not her writing. I guess because like that it's wasn't his thing. thing. Yeah, so he didn't have to be protective over it. And he actually helped her organize an art show where she would sell some paintings. Um, and one of the women she sold paintings to was a woman that Scott had a, uh, an affair with. Um, uh, yeah, you had me go in there for yeah. a second. Yeah, but unfortunately there was a few events in her life that kind of led to kind of the last like nail in the coffin, as far as like her mental state. And these are in succession. Um, Her brother died by committing suicide, a play that she had been really devoted on and in writing failed really bad. And a lot of people kind of contributed to that because uh, contribute that to the fact that she wrote it on her own. And Scott didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to look at it because I think the reason why both of their writing is so great is because they did help each other. Yeah. They worked well together. They just didn't work well together. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe as business partners, but definitely not as life yeah. partners. Um, And then the third and arguably worst thing, I mean, her brother dying is pretty rough, but equal to that or right, right below that, it's definitely Scott released the book Tinder is the Night. And in this book – there's a character who was so explicitly modeled after her that everyone instantly knows it. Mm. And not only is it modeled after her, it makes her seem ridiculous and it makes her life seem so much harder. And he just basically made up stuff about her and her family and her life and included it in the book. And she was so humiliated that this book existed. And he, when she told him that he told her, Oh, just don't read it again. Um, uh, he, so he probably didn't let her read it before he published it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. So after this, like I said, her kind of mental issues just kind of, it, it was a lot for her to handle. Yeah. And I think she was really holding it together before then. And it just became, it became rough. So now, and this was kind of in later life. Um, so I, well later of her life, so probably 35 plus she, um, was committed several times. Uh, she was, you know, electroshock therapy, all mm-hmm. this really bad therapy that like the 30s and 40s had to offer. Um, so, of course, she was being treated, but I, there's a conversation to be had of like how much it's was a her person, worse. yeah, making her worse. How much was the person really suffering right. from mental illness? Or how much were the treatments exasperating right. and, like, worsening those symptoms. So, and it was kind of happening to her. And I, I don't think she was being treated. It was kind of confusing whether or not this was, like, a consistent thing for the rest of her life, these treatments for her. Or if, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a couple years when she was being treated like this. But um, basically for the rest of her life, she just is in and out of mental institutions and... Um, she's she's doing well as well as you can in right. that situation, and I don't really think she looked on her time in, um, in treatment centers as a bad thing. And I think al- most of these times she went, she elected to go because it was somewhere she felt safe and mm. was allowed to kind of just be. And exist. Right. And she had depression. And, like, anyone with depression knows, like, sometimes you just need to take a couple days. Well, and like, <laughs> I mean, it, it might help that it's cut off from the outside world. Yeah. And the judgment of people who know what Scott wrote. And, yeah. Like... That's true. Uh-huh. So, Scott does die at 44 and of a heart attack in 1940. I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah, I didn't realize he died that young either. Also, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't his liver that gave out. <laughs> I know. It's probably a heart attack due to drinking problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... After her, his death, she does move back to Montgomery, where she's living with her mom. This is where she spends the rest of her life. She, again, especially at this time, she has a healthy relationship, I feel, with treatment facilities and is kind of viewing them as a safe place. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily a negative thing for her, it seems. And, um, you know, she's, she's, she's surviving. It seems like she does maybe have episodes, especially because her daughter doesn't invite her to her wedding in case she has one of her... Quote, eccentric moments. Yeah. Um, which is rough, but I think also fair. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's been in a situation like that, they, I feel, would relate. And so that's just kind of how she spends the rest of her life. I think most of it is spent painting. Um, painting was a big outlet for her, and you can look up her paintings. They're pretty unique. Um, hmm. And so, um, unfortunately, though, Zelda does die pretty early. She dies in 1948 at the age of 48, right after the birth of her second grandchild. Um and a fire broke out at the Highland Hospital where she stayed on and off, and she was trapped in her room on the top floor. Oh of my the building. gosh! I thought she. Yeah. I didn't realize that Zelda Fitzgerald yeah. died in a fire. I know. I thought she died of natural causes. I know. I know. I didn't realize either. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so. Yeah. So. Well, that. Was- yeah. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say that was a really great story, but that's. That's heartbreaking. It's yeah. a good job. but That's a h- awful. Yeah. So uh, we are going way longer than I expected us to go today. But I, like I said, there's a whole two-hour episode on this that you could go listen to. And I cut out so much because there's just so much about these people's lives that we know. Um, the good news is, is that, like I said before, Scotty never really said that her parents' kind of crazy lifestyle affected her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she looks back on her childhood fondly. Um, and now especially since you know women's history started to be be prioritized in the 70s we know a lot more about zelda and um she's much more of a figure now and um she's definitely deserving of it she definitely lived a crazy life and i think she kind of embodies that like 1920 freedom that we all think of um and yeah and so now there's movies and tv shows made after her and wow yeah so that is the story of Zelda Fitzgerald. And sorry, we are an hour 40. Are we really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't expect us to go that long today. But I mean, you did the Silk Road. So that's going to yeah. take a long time. But this was a packed story. And there was a lot of like confusing things to kind of work around and everything. So sorry. <laughs> but I hope you have a long car ride. Yeah. Have a... Yeah. 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 Have a good um, bath and listen to this. Yeah, have a nice long bath. Go cook yourself something and listen to a podcast while you make dinner. I don't know. Learn about Zelda Zelda Fitzgerald and the Silk Road. We're glad you stuck around today. And um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, or you just want to keep up with our weekly guessing game, Mm -hmm. follow us at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. On Twitter? And then... And if you want to email us, we, of course, would love to hear from you. Our mm-hmm. email is lecture at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks thank you for- so much for the recent surge of views. Yeah, it's been really crazy. Y'all really came came and yeah, there. Yeah, we're going to hit 300 soon, which is insane, um, considering it took 10 whole episodes to get to 200. And I'd be surprised. I think by next episode, we'll be at three. That's crazy. Oh, it's, wow. That's crazy. I know. Um Awesome. So, Yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, have a great week, and we will talk to you again soon. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Bye! Bye.